electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Sarah, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, on pace now for the best month in two years. So how far can stocks run? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour. Everybody's here at Post 9. Joe Terranova, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, BMO's Brian Belsky. Let's take you to the market. It's been a bit of a choppy day. Dow is red. So is the S&P. NASDAQ, a little bit positive. There's 442 on the 10-year. Joe, discretionary and tech are the only positive sectors of the day. But we are on track, as we said, for the best month in a couple of years. Let's look at the VIX, too. Under 13. Yeah, 12, well, 7. Uh, remarkably, this, this pattern that's been in place for the entirety of November, where if you have any type of dip, the market seems to stabilize and then uh, resume the prevailing bullish trend. And I think we saw a little bit of that this morning. It had some early weakness in the NASDAQ, Apple, NVIDIA with both down. That's been washed away. Uh, Apple and NVIDIA now have turned and then they're now in the green. So I think what's important is to understand that overall trend for the month. And that gives, I think that gives a strong degree of confidence that the high for the S&P back in July at 4607, that intraday high, that seems to be the target of where we're headed in the coming weeks. All right, Steph, so are we going to get there? And, and then beyond? Yeah. It's been one, one heck of a month. Um, and, and things seem to be going according to plan, right? Yep. Um, Black Friday's strong, so the consumer's still spending. We're still, you know, some would suggest on pace for that soft landing, which, you know, many thought was elusive some 12 months ago, but, but here we are. Yeah, a lot of things are going right right now, right? Inflation is lower. Interest rates are lower. The data, the economic data is running at about one and a half, two percent in GDP. Not a disaster, not as strong as 3Q, but certainly holding its own. And then the big change in the last couple of weeks is oil. I mean, oil's down 20% from their highs. And that, that means that the consumer has something like $54 billion in pent-up potential spend. And that actually, I think, is going to, not all of it's going to get spent, but I do think that's a nice tailwind. So I still think the consumer's hanging in there. I think they will, and that's a big part of the economy. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish. Yeah, how much room do we have, Jason, for this, for this run we've been on? I think we still have quite a bit left, honestly. I think... Um, you know, the one thing I will say is I think we're slightly overbought in the very, very near term. Um, but I don't think that has any bar on a run into, into December, right? Because I think one of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is Chase is still there. There's a lot of money managers that have not done well throughout this year. We've talked about the Magnificent Seven all year. Um, equal weight, S&P, you know, there's a lot of folks that just haven't, haven't returned. And I think that Chase will come into play towards the end of the year. And I think that's why I'm stay positive. It's interesting, Brian, um, whether, you know, if there's a fair amount of cash on the sidelines, been sitting in money markets for, you know, the, as long as we can remember at this point, um, whether that's bullish now for both stocks and bonds. Right, because the money's going to come out. Uh, where's it going to go? It doesn't necessarily go just into equities. 
because there are those who suggest that bonds are just as attractive right now as stocks are, if not even more so. That's right. I think private wealth has done a, an amazing job running their portfolios this year. And, you know, a lot of the higher net worth private wealth people have products where you can have a five, five and a half percent money market account. And, you know, we've been advising, we've been saying for a while that we're entering a period where you, where you can, will and should own both both stocks and bonds, especially considering that we're coming out of this two-year period, Scott, as you know, of uh, negative real rates of return in bonds for the first time in over 40 years. You seem a little subdued over there. You all right? Tough <laughs> <laughs> travel, traveling over Thanksgiving weekend. Let's too much got you down. I mean, because you shouldn't be subdued with a 5,100 base case for next year for the S&P. I'm wondering what your bull case is. 5,500. Okay. How are we going to get better than 10% minimum? Minimum. Well, how we're going to get there is that we see a really rapid drop off in inflation. We see earnings just take off and GDP holds in there a little bit better than we thought. And so I think from a 5100K, a 5100 um, number, that's for our 5500 number. For our 5100 number, which is our base case, inflation rolls over, recession in name only, in name only, not a technical recession. Uh, rates stick around 4% for the first half of the year, dip below 4% the second half of the year. The market broadens out. We're going to be in a market where you should own both growth and value. And in terms of size and style, it's the, I like to call it the Jackie Moon market. Own everything, everything uh, every, uh, ELE, right? Everybody love everybody. Meaning small, medium, and large together. Own growth everything. So everything's, we're, we're in uh... Equal weight everything. Equal weight everything. Don't be massively over large. Don't be massively over small. Own a combination. So what that tells you is yeah. get smaller overall, right? Because if you take a look at equities in general, equity positions are way underweight small caps. So you need to build those, build those positions in small caps. Speaking of over, I mean, you, you're not over your skis at all on the idea that you're going to have a, well, your words, really rapid drop in inflation. I mean, inflation's come down. Yeah. Um, there's nothing necessarily to suggest that it's going to go into some hyper decline from here, though. No, I mean, if you if you get to down to two percent faster than everybody thinks, in the and first you think half we year, will it, to get to fifty five hundred. Yes, I think it's going to continue to be a steady decline. And mm -hmm. that's what keeps us at fifty one hundred. So still, that's if you look at a second year of a bull market, it's roughly eleven and a half percent. If you look at the second year of normalization, which we're calling this high single-digit, low double-digit returns. This is very positive for the whole secular bull market that we've been talking about. So you think we're, we are undoubtedly in a bull market, in, an, in a new bull market? I said this 14 months ago. I'm sorry to say that I said this a while ago, but I said October of 2022 is the start of the bull market. Everybody doubted it all year long. It was walking the wall of worry, climbing the wall of worry. Now we're starting to get better participation. I think that's going to follow through into year two of the bull market, which is next year, part of a cyclical bull, part of our longer term 20 to 25 year secular bull market. Yeah, but you can't be, I mean, you're trying to claim credit for being like a super prognosticator of no, a market that did next to nothing other than seven stocks. No, well, hold on a second. If you take a look, if you're looking at how things are looking on a fundamental basis with respect to cash flow, earnings growth, and balance sheets, pristine with respect to cash flow and balance sheets, and earnings have become very st stable. If you look at other names, what about what about Delta? 
Okay. What about United Airlines coming up recently? What about some of these other names in the housing market? The housing industry was the second best performing industry after technology. There are other names besides the Magnificent Seven. You look at some small cap banks up 30, 40% year to date. So there are other names. And if you are a stock picker and not trying to call the markets like all these yeah but bears, always trying to make all these market calls, which we talk about in the report, by you the way. You just made a big market call yourself. I know that's part of my job to make a market call because I've published my year ahead piece. But if you're focusing only on the indices and only on the market in general, you have to look at the stocks from a bottoms up basis. Right. And that's what we do. Steph, let's debate this. Um, 5,100 <laughs> base case, earnings 250, or 5,500 bull case. I just want to say higher. I don't know what the number is going to be, but I do think if the economy hangs in there, it is all about earnings, and earnings probably get revised higher. Uh, I think they already have actually been going higher, and that's been the big surprise, and stocks follow earnings. And so that's the real story in my mind. And, and I think a lot of the economy is growing because we have a lot of stimulus still put in place. We just put $2 trillion. We haven't even put $2 trillion. We passed $2 trillion in infrastructure spend. That's not even going to get into the economy until next year, Scott. So that's a nice tailwind. And then I say, then I look at inflation coming down. Absolutely, that's positive for profits. And, and, and inflation in general is just a good, if, when it comes down, obviously that's very powerful. Oh, so you, you, you're in, in Camp Belsky, um, where Lori Calvacin is 5,000, Savita B of A is 5,000 uh, for next year. Costin's a little bit below uh, that, not, not looking for a tremendous amount of upside uh, for, for 2024. But the way that Brian lays out his scenario makes makes good amount of sense. To, to, to me it does, because that me, that. If earnings are going higher, your P.E. is coming down. So the market's actually more attractive. So to me, yeah, I, th I mean, I don't know the numbers, Scott. I really don't. But I do think that there's so much in terms of tailwind in the economy that we're able to handle these higher rates, and now they're coming down. So I think that's very powerful. So something that Brian said, uh, suggested I think is very interesting, and I think for the viewers it's something that you have to think about within your portfolios and even from a trading perspective, and that's the fact that equal weight can finally have mean reversion, can finally have a degree of outperformance over uh, more than just a, a weekly period, over a multi-month period. And let's include small caps in that conversation. I think the real test comes in the month of January. You'll know quickly. In the month of January, if you see the same type of pattern that we had last year, in which at the end of the year, you knew where you could identify where the tax loss harvesting was, right? All the tax loss harvesting was actually in the Magnificent Seven, was actually in technology. What happened in January? It caught everyone by surprise. And in January, that's where the leadership is. You should see the same pattern in the month of January if your belief that you're going to see dispersion, if you're going to see equal weighted strategy, if you're going to see all the equity size classes participate, you will see in the month of January that that's where the significant outperformance will be. It will reverse what has gone on here in Q4, which is tax loss harvesting in the Russell, tax loss harvesting in EVs, tax loss harvesting in clean energy, tax loss harvesting in biotech. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, but you know what I was thinking about when he's saying this? Financials, right? I mean, again? Come on, Scotty, get on board the train. You, well, I'm glad is, I didn't get on the train last time. Exactly, you said the train was exactly. going. So, so here's well, what, what do you mean. People, here's people what I would were, say. People should be happy they didn't get on that train. Well, here's what I would say. Um, number one, you, you might see some tax loss harvesting in financials. Number two, 
I, I believe that most of these companies have been massively overregulated, very, very, very conservatively managed, over-reserved, and when they come out with their earnings, they're actually going to come out and say, we're going to increase the dividend and buy back more stock. And what I really believe, too, is that next year you're going to start to see more M&A activity, especially within some of the regional banks, Scott. And so I think in your portfolios, if you're making sector calls, it's technology for growth and, and financials for value. Lastly, I would say the other area to look at that you, I haven't really talked a lot about on the show is private equity. Because if interest rates are starting to go down, private equity firms do a lot better. And so I think that's another flair that you can add to your financials and not just the banks. What about financials, Jason Snipe, here? Remember, Belsky famously, yeah. <clears throat> like a year ago, we said, what sector do you like? And he said, financials, financials, financials. Right. Three I times remember. better than one. <laughs> I remember. He remembers, um, too. Yeah, absolutely. So as it relates to financials, I think for me, you know, I, I, I still like the brokerage firms. I still like, you know, the IB part of the business. Um, I don't really love the money center banks. You know, I'm, I'm not super bullish there. But to, to, to Belsky's point, I think a couple things. If yields do pull back, you know, we, we talk about these trillions of dollars that are in money markets. And breath, which I think breath is going to be very important going into next year. And we're, we're talking about, you know, again, tech has been the lead. Obviously, Joe, you pointed that out. Um, it's done very well this year. We're going to need to see breath coming into next year. So I think financials, again, has had a great month. It's up 9% this month. I think we could have some, 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 some capital go that way. But again, you know, I think it's, I think it's going to really depend on interest rates and, and where, where flows go. I'm surprised, Brian, that you're, you're underweight or you're, you're advising people to be underweight energy and materials if you're as bullish on the economic picture as you obviously sound as though you are why would i want to be underweight those areas especially after what's been a really you know down year yeah. for energy specifically well first off if you look at CPI and PPI trends in the underlying commodity, if you correlate that to the performance of the sector, uh, it's pretty correlated. And if we have a really cool chart in the report that shows it's about halfway halfway down in terms of where we could see a bottom in, 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 in energy. That's number one. You mean in, in like oil prices? <laughs> oil prices in, in the energy sector. We still think that many of our institutional clients are actually overexposed to energy, and there's going to be some more selling coming in there. I think that's a big part of it. Number two, on the material side, I think global growth is going to be still squishy the first half of the year. And remember, too. If I look at the market sectors like a portfolio, and if I'm running money, which I do, I look at what stocks can I own in those sectors. And if we run money like we do, 40 to 50 stocks in a portfolio, we're concentrated. And if you're talking about a 2.5% market weight position in a particular sector like materials or 3% in energy, you're probably going to own one name. That's it. And so we want to be very, 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 very confined in what we buy and very, very structured. You're like better than well, 6% in energy and you have like a dozen names. Well, and, and I've stated that I'm very concerned about where energy is. And the reason I'm concerned is positioning. And that's what you're speaking towards. And uh, that's where I agree with you. I think with energy, positioning is most critical in terms of where the direction ultimately is going to be. Where I disagree with you is what you said on financials, because I don't think the positioning is there where you're going to see the tax loss harvesting effect. The reason I say that is because the regional banking crisis pushed so many people so quickly away from financials. And I really think when you look at ownership of financials, it's really in a neutral positioning. Can I tactically identify Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs as two companies that I would want to own? Absolutely, I can. But I don't think that you're going to have that type of effect in financials that you could have overall for small caps itself. And just back to energy, look, we have an OPEC meeting. 
at the end of the week. And as I said before, to me, it's almost it's similar to Alabama being fourth and goal on the 31 and throwing <laughs> you know, a touchdown pass to Isaiah Bond in the corner. That's exactly what we need from OPEC this weekend. So, Steph, on that note, you sold Chevron, mm-hmm. um, which you kind of were fed up with it right after earnings were bad. I think you had sold some, and now you sold the rest. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it it really wasn't a good quarter. I think they're distracted from all the M&A that they're doing. They're not returning cash to shareholders like we expected. It was just that was disappointing, too, in terms of the buyback. So I just think it's going to sit here for a while, and there's other places that that I think have more upside. Like what? Well, I bought it. I used the money to buy a Freeport, a small position in Freeport. It's down 18% from its highs. It trades at eight times EBITDA. I think the destocking is coming to an end. Inventories are historically low. China has remained strong, running up about 10% in the face of a weaker economy. So if they do get better, obviously demand will go up and, and higher. And I just think the valuation, the risk reward is just so much better for this one. And they're executing, Scott. And Chevron right now, they're not. Jason, you own Chevron. Are you as fed up as Steph? Oh, man. Chevron, it's, <laughs> it's been tough. It's, it, yeah. it's been a tough year. It's down, down 20%. 20%. Year to date, down almost 10, almost 10% over the last three months. Um, you know, to, to Steph's point on the, on, on the acquisitions, the M&A activity, I do like the acquisition of Hess. I do think that's going to be creative to the stock. I like the assets in Guyana. I like the assets in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, but the stock has been walloping. It hasn't done well. I mean, the, you know, the revenue was down 50% year over year um, this past quarter. So, but if, I, if I'm going to be in energy, I want to be in the fully integrated names and, and Chevron is that for us. Belsky, you own Chevron, too. I do, and dividend growth. And I buy it. There's three parts of dividend growth. So there's a core name that's never cut a dividend. There's dividend growers, and then there's yield. Chevron's part of our yield component of it. That's the only reason why I own it. I think structurally it's in trouble, and it, I do agree. But isn't with, there another large oil company you could own instead if yeah, you're going one for a yield Exxon. play? There's one called Exxon. <laughs> All right. Um, but it's we, not like you're the only ones who fit, <laughs> fit the bill for your yield call. It isn't. Well, you chose that one because at the point when we, when we bought it, Five years ago, it had a much higher yield. And right now, you're staying with it? We're staying with it. Joe, you own it, too? I do. You want a trade alert, though? I want to give you a trade alert. Mm-hmm. Market on close today. I'm a buyer of GLD. I like the Freeport McMoran. The Chinese are beginning to increase their exposure, utilization of Freeport McMoran. Hopefully, that takes it off the lows, but gold is breaking out. All right, hold on. So you're going to buy the GLD gold. on the close? I, I already gold have is, it in. It's like 2000 now, right? Gold is breaking out. Gold is breaking out. There's also a correlation between the direction of where inflation is. It's interesting. People always say gold, inflation. No, it's gold and a disinflation trend that where you begin to see gold appreciate. I like what I'm witnessing in gold. The way I'm going to play it is GLD, market on close, I'm a buyer. But you still want to be underweight materials, though, Bell. In the U.S., but we're, we're overweight gold in Canada. Um, because That's a home team called. I almost, I almost put an asterisk <laughs> by that. No, because, listen, I think we do think that global growth is going to be squishy. We, the only name that we're owning in the material sector is Stephanie. We're owning Freeport Macron because I think it's, it's a great contrarian name. It has not done very well. There's been a lot of forced selling in that name, and I think that there's some upside there. Okay. 
You own Freeport too in the Joe T. We own still. Free, we own Freeport. Freeport has been in a little bit of a, a struggling position, as as we've said. But I like what we're seeing fundamentally from the Chinese, and that could be yeah. that could be a positive catalyst over the coming quarters. See, I like people are trying to pick these, you know, make these contrarian calls on areas of the market that didn't do great this year that they think are going to have all of a sudden a good a good 2024, such as Wells Fargo, for example, utilities, healthcare. Do we have any reason to believe that, I mean, if, if, if rates are going to continue, Steph, to come down, maybe yeah. utilities catch a bid yep. on that. But what about health care? Another big disappointment. Very disappointing across the board and not even just biotech, pharma. I mean, those stocks are trading in single digit multiples and the yields are really pretty interesting. I sure I, I think, you know, maybe there's a catch up trade there, but I don't know if there's something out there in the elections that's kind of putting a little bit of a kibosh on the on the group as a whole. But it just doesn't act very well. I'm very stock specific. I only own two names and you know, you know what they are. We're going to talk about one in the next block. Brian, what about utilities? What about health? We upgraded utilities to neutral. Wow. That's exciting, isn't it? I actually telegraphed that a little bit when I was on last time because we wrote this report about the highest yielding stocks in the, in the market being massively oversold. And so there are some names and utilities that, that you can own. Uh, on healthcare, it's meh because I still think that there's this overhang from COVID. Uh, if you want to be contrarian in healthcare, actually, do look at these heavy cash balances and great cash flow names in the biotech area like Gilead or Amgen. But I think healthcare is a classic neutral heading into next year. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll do our calls of the day. We've got a big sell call on one of Steph's top holdings. So we get her reaction to that. We'll do that in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We'll do our calls of the day now. We'll start with GE Healthcare. Uh, Steph, it was downgraded to sell. Mm -hmm. This is from UBS. They say margin disappointments are coming. Target cuts to 66 from 86. They call the risk reward unappealing in the near term. They say guidance is going to be tough to deliver. Orders, comps, and pricing are 2024 headwinds. Margin delays ahead. It's one of your biggest positions. Yeah, it's done well year to date. It's up 26%. This yeah. analyst had a neutral on it all the way up. That being said, it is down 16% from its high. So it has sold off, I think, on these concerns. I think on the margin concerns for sure. But I think they're taking market share. I think the medium term, medium to long term, I think you're going to see mid-single-digit total revenue growth, EBIT margin expansion in the upper teens. So does this analyst, by the way. When I was reading the note, it didn't really read that negative. It reads more negative in the, in, in the immediate term, near term. Yeah, mere, the, what they say, mid, you know, in the midterm. Yeah, well, they're, they're listening to Siemens, and, and Siemens is talking about a slowing in China. 
it's very, it's entirely possible. I think GE Healthcare is taking share from Siemens in China. So I, I think the evaluation is attractive. Uh, you know I like spins. This is a spinoff from GE. Spins work because the, all the management, they really are dedicated to investing in the company, R&D, and, and providing growth, which is underappreciated when you're part of a conglomerate like it was. So I like this very much long term. If it sells off more, I'll buy more. Oh, okay. Um, back to healthcare real quick with you, Joe. Um, the ones you own, Merck, Bristol. And so, Pfizer? Well, no, Merck, Bristol, and Pfizer are three names where I think investors need to be focused on in 2024 if you think you're going to get that rotation into healthcare itself. The name that we own is Eli Lilly. And Eli oh, Lilly right. is capturing all of the healthcare flows right now. Bristol, Pfizer, Merck, they are trading at the lower end of their 52-week range. Merck is actually a name that I own for quite some well, time that I sold out Well, the thing is, of. like, the weight loss drug phenomenon right. is, is why. But, but here, here is why I think this is so critical to isolate on those three names in Lilly itself. Because if, in fact, the fever breaks surrounding the weight loss, surrounding Ozempic, what you will see is capital flows very quickly go into those three names. Why is it going to well, break? I think, Pfizer? I think J&J, too, to be J &J honest with you. Well. That stock has been a dud. J&J, you can include J&J in that conversation. But understand, you're getting rewarded in a large cap healthcare name, Eli Lilly, to the degree of which you haven't been able to get rewarded this year in its entirety from the overall sector, you're getting rewarded almost with biotech type returns. So that's where all the capital is right now resting. Once that capital, the fever breaks, that capital is going directly into those other big cap pharma names, and I would include J&J in that. Assuming that the, the fever, in your words, breaks, if you only have a certain percentage of your portfolio to allocate towards healthcare, you're going to go where the hot money is. You're in, well, you're going to go where the momentum is. And well, a classic example of that, I am right now specifically in Eli Lilly, but I am sure fevers tend to generally break at some point. I'm sure 2024 we'll be sitting here on the desk and we'll be talking about the fever breaking surrounding the weight loss drugs. And at that point, you'll see these other names will benefit All right, from Steph, it. McDonald's reiterated by BTIG. That's ahead of the investor day next Wednesday. 300 bucks is the target. You bought it recently, right? You bought it back recently. Yeah. They say, quote, we believe McDonald's is ready to accelerate unit development across the globe with increased openings in the U.S. focused on the South and Southeast regions, given population trends. I mean, I like the stock. I'm not crazy about the call because the stock is up 10 percent from its lows just a month and a half ago. Uh, so it's had a nice rally, and I think it's in anticipation of it having a positive analyst day. But this is a company of a massive scale and size taking market share everywhere, and they just grew global comps at 8.8 percent. I mean, their strategy is digital drive-through and delivery, and those three Ds are working for the company. It's not cheap at 24 times forward, but the long-term average is 26 times, so it's a little bit cheaper, but it's not super cheap. It acts like a defensive, and that's kind of why I own it. You own it too, right? Yeah, we like it. Comfort food. If, if we think uh, the consumer thinks they're going into recession, they're going to go have an egg McMuffin and a Diet Coke all day long uh, versus, uh, you know, we really like... Uh, we were like some other names in, in That's how deep the analysis goes? I mean, you know how deep that goes? that's the fundamental Did analysis? Like <laughs> no, we own it in our value portfolio. We've owned it for uh, a year. We were wrong for a while, and, and the stock has been underperforming. But this is just one of these names in the restaurant industry I think you want to own. Okay. What about Old Dominion, Joe? That downgraded today to hold from buy at Deutsche. Target to 386 from 475. You left out why they downgraded it. They downgraded it based on valuation, and I really dislike this call. You're downgrading it based on valuation. Well, guess what? At times, it is traded 
at an actual cheaper valuation and gone lower. So valuation is the is not the indicator for this stock. It's not the only thing that they talk about. They they talk about how from a competitive standpoint they are quote leaps and bounds ahead of their competition. Positive. Quote, but the gap is narrowing, which may have negative implications for market share. The gap is narrowing. That's what they say. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't see that. I see a company that's raising general rates 4.9 percent in the month of November. I see a company that has pricing power. I see a company that's benefited from Yellow Corp's bankruptcy. I see a company that has endured itself through the freight cycle, actually declining. And now on the other side of that, if you see good spending return once again, this company is going to benefit more than most. Why? Because they have competitive market share advantage over the rest. I still go back to the valuation argument. I think the valuation argument on this stock is completely wrong. There's a premium that you should pay for this stock because it's got the balance sheet and because competitively they are an advantage to others. Okay. That's a 36 times forward estimates. That's a pretty rich valuation. Okay. Pretty rich. Okay. That's it? Just okay? (laughs) 36 times. Okay. It could go to 46 times. What do, it's what not going to force me out of the stock. What do other names in the space trade at from a valuation standpoint? Do you have any Cheap, idea? Cheaper I, than I mean, I don't. XPO. Cheaper and than it's, that. It's up there too. It's, it's up there too. They're the leaders. They are, and they're benefiting mm-hmm. from from yellow freight. Clearly, I don't know how sustainable the growth is though, as a result of that. Right. Okay. As Joe said. Okay. <laughs> okay. Twice. Let's get the headlines now with Silvana Hanau. Hey, Silvana. Hey, Sky, good afternoon. Qatar officials announced an agreement to extend the Israel-Hamas truce for two more days. The deal could include additional aid delivered to the Strip and the release of more hostages and prisoners. The original four-day ceasefire deal was set to expire today. Elon Musk visited Israel today where he toured a kibbutz with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, the village that was attacked by Hamas on October 7th. The visit comes as Israeli officials announced that the country reached a deal with Musk's Starlink satellite internet company to make communications available in the Gaza Strip. And a new island is forming near Japan after a volcanic eruption. The island is about 750 miles south of Tokyo and has grown more than 160 feet in two weeks. Officials are warning ships to be careful navigating the area due to continued volcanic activity, Scott. Pretty cool. Indeed. Silvana, thank you. That's Silvana Hanau. Up next, ETF Edge. Uh, How you can invest around the rapid changes happening in tech right now. Halftime's back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. 
now to Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Hey, Bob. Good to see you, Scotty. I'm joined now by a very special guest. Morgan Household is a partner at the Collaborative Fund and the author of the best-selling book, The Psychology of Money, which has sold over 4 million copies worldwide. This is one of the best-selling financial books of all time. He's out with a new book right now, same as ever, Guide to What Never Changes, noting that while technology and change seem to be accelerating, human behavior is not accelerating. He joins us now. Thank you, Morgan, for being with us. Your key theme is that investing styles and technology are ever-changing, but human behavior doesn't change at all. Now, why is this such a, a key concept to grasp as an investor? Well, thanks so much for having me, Bob. I think it's really important because all of our attention in the industry, the vast majority of it, goes to what's going to change. What's the next big technology? When's the next recession? When's the next bear market? The collective track record of, act of accurately predicting those kind of things is not great. But for me, as a financial journalist, I was always just interested in looking back at financial history and realizing what does not change. The behaviors that were the same thing 100 years ago as they will be 100 years from now. So if we put all of our emphasis into those behaviors that, ne that never change, I think it pushes us much closer to a clear view of what's actually going to happen in the future. Yeah, you know, a good part of this book is dedicated to evaluating risk, and you do so well explaining this. You've got a great chapter explaining why so many events that are supposed to happen once in 100 years seem to happen all the time. A 100-year flood, it happens. A 100-year hurricane, happens. A 100-year pandemic, happens. A 100-year stock market crash, happens. They seem to happen all the time. I explain that seeming anomaly to us. Why do these 100-year events happen all the time? Well, look, if in any given year there is a 1% chance of a catastrophic hurricane, 1% chance of a terrorist attack, 1% chance of a pandemic, on and on and on, in any given year, one of them is going to happen. So in almost any given year, and certainly every decade, we have these events that seem like they were completely out of the blue, black swan, nobody saw this coming, once in a lifetime kind of thing. But since there are so many of them, it happens every single year. I've been an investor for 20 years, not even that long. But in every period during that time as an investor, there have been a million things to look at in terms of reasons not to buy, reasons not to be an investor. Markets overvalued, the economy is weak, politics is a mess, go on down the list. And during that period, the market's up almost fourfold during that period. And I think that is kind of the common path of history. At any given period, there is something going on that seems like it's catastrophic and seems like we should not be able that that we 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 should not deal with this as an investor and that's the normal path yeah. and then you look back over a long period and realize like that's where the rewards are yeah there's also a great chapter on the right way to view inspired but crazy geniuses, as you call them, like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. You even bring in Walt Disney, the man, and talk about him as a bit of an eccentric. So what's the right way to look at these people, at the Elon Musks and the Steve Jobs of the world? You have some comments on that. Well, it's always the case. It always has been the case and will be that people who have unbalanced success, they have extraordinary success, are by de definition not well-balanced people. And because of that, there are going to be parts of the world, their, their thoughts that they have, the beliefs that they have, actions that they take that we disagree with. Of course, if they are thinking about the world in good ways that are out of the box and kind of crazy, of course, there are other ways that they think about the world that we might disagree with or find repulsive. That's always been the case for all of these people. Yeah. Steve Jobs was like that. Isaac Newton was like that. Walt Disney was like that. One other way to think about this is that people who tend to be very good at one thing tend to also be very bad at another thing. It's like your mind only has so much bandwidth for so much attention. And if you are a kind of person who is devoting your entire life to yep. your business, your investing strategy, whatever it might be, 
the huge majority of those people are going to have major deficiencies in other areas of their life. So be careful when you're trying to emulate their behavior or look up to their life without getting a full sense of the cost of what they're doing. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm going to have a lot more. We have a lot to talk about with Morgan. We're going to have a lot more on timeless investing wisdom, including his thoughts on ETF investing, index investing coming up. Morgan House is going to be with us for 20 minutes on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern time. He'll be joined by Dave Nautic, the financial futurist at Vetify. We'll also be discussing the explosive growth of zero data expiration options. That's ETFEdge.CNBC.com. Scott, back to you. I appreciate that. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani up next. Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. We're back after this. Dow's uh, down just about 100 points. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. We're back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli. There he is joining us now. I've uh, got a VIX under 13 still and nothing really doing much other than mega caps today. Yeah. Um, and really mostly just kind of a hold as opposed to, uh, you know, kind of more progress on the upside. I think that's probably okay. To me, the big debate is, uh, yeah, sure, we're sort of short-term, just a little bit stretched technically, but there's been a lot of repair to the overall trend. I mean, the, uh, the eco-weighted S&P is up 6% total return this year. It's not a disaster that it was looking like a little while ago. Uh, so overall, I think it's okay. NVIDIA is 5% off its high with the S&P, uh, you know, less than 1% off the July high. So I think everything's working together. It's a matter of whether we have to be bracing for another growth scare or another yield scare, if any. Uh, but those two things, I think, are in a nice, delicate balance for now. See if that changed. VIX under 13, to me, not that big a concern. It's been very quiet trading. The market's been closed the majority of the last nine days. Uh, we'll see if it rebuilds from here. Yeah, sure. Volume volume feels really light. Uh, what do you make most targets coming out? About 5,000 here, 5,000 there. Belsky's got 51 base yeah. case, 55 in, in a perfect scenario. Yeah, I think it's, it's coming off of a year when the street was a little bit too negative for what the S&P did. So I don't see sentiment is getting overexcited at all. Um, you know, 5,100 to 12% gain from here. That's pretty much in the ballpark of what you'd start to see on the bullish end. Uh, so I don't think everyone is hating the rally. I don't think you have a great consensus that we have economic dune ahead of us as we did a year ago. But uh, to me, it's not yet to that point where people are getting a little frothy and just extrapolating good times. 5,100, as I said before, is a, a whopping, you know, 6% above where we peaked uh, in early 2022. So that would be a three-year return of 6%, not necessarily yeah. uh, running away to the upside. Not as great as it would seem. Mike, thanks. I'll yeah. see you in closing about a couple hours. Coming up, mega cap tech. Well, we got stocks hitting new highs today. We'll talk about that and much more coming up. All right, we're back. Microsoft hitting another all-time high. There's the chart, 380. Brian Belsky, I'll go to you. I mean, is there any, any reason whatsoever to think that these stocks are just not going to continue to work in the new year? Even if there's some sort of pickup in these other areas, I just, no don't, I just don't buy the argument that, you know, money's going to come out of mega cap and just go into all these other places. Yeah, I think the, the issue with the mega cap is it's probably not going to be all seven. Maybe it's four or five. You're already starting to see uh, some different performance trends from not only price performance, but fundamental performance of the Magnificent Seven. I think Microsoft can do very well under being kind of that core holding in tech and then other names around that. 
When you say, you know, you can already see others not not performing, what are you talking about? Like who? Well, look at Google. Google's been underperforming, not not in the month of November because everything went up, right? But you look what are you at your about, a couple date, of days. Well, look at how Google has been underperforming relative to, let's say, Microsoft, relative to Netflix. Look at NVIDIA coming back as strong as it has been. But look at also the way that Apple has been not as strong as before. And Amazon earlier in the year was not leading, but it started to catch up. So we're starting to see some different trends in that. They're I mean, Apple's up 13% time. in a month. Steph, yeah. Amazon, your biggest position, right? Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you could get another nice game today based on the fact that Black Friday sales. Yeah, they're winners. And now we have Cyber Monday and all that expected to be good, too. They're winners, right? And their free cash flow is ridiculous. $36 billion this year is expected. I mean, they had just a flawless quarter. They really did in terms of revenues, earnings, operating income. Operating income was double what they guided at the low end of the range. AWS, they signed four new clients in the month of September, so you're going to see an acceleration from 12% to 15 16% for next quarter. And margins on the retail side are much better than expected. So I, I still like that one. But I will say, kind of under the radar, and we talk about it a, a, a bit, I do, I know, Lamb Research. Mm -hmm. Goldman put a note out today that was really sort of interesting. They're raising their wafer fab equipment numbers. And it kind of didn't get a lot of attention. Why that's important is because obviously that's what these guys do. And we have, we have been waiting for a trough. And so I think that there are some definitely pockets within tech to own that are not the Magnificent Seven. And that one would be right up on, it's like my second largest position. You think Nvidia got a little ahead of itself, or, or, or no? Right, it went from 400 on Halloween to 500 right. as it was reporting earnings. Now it's right. come, it's come down, you know, 20 bucks. Right. It still had an incredible, incredible, incredible move. Uh, it's up near 20% in, in one in one month's time. Right. Um, but what about that name? I thought maybe Belsky was referring to that mm -hmm. uh, over the last few sessions, as you know, maybe it's due for a little bit of a pause. Right. So, I mean, clearly the revenue growth year over year up over 200 uh, percent. Data center was amazing. Gaming was really strong. Um, but yes, I mean, the stock is up 240 plus percent year to date. I mean, you know. With, with that type of move, there is a there is some retracement possibly that's coming ahead. But I don't think, contrary to what, what Belsey might have been talking about, I don't I don't think there's a pause into next year. I do think data strength, data center strength will be strong, and I do think gaming will also come back. Got to pause maybe for a couple of days, and yeah. it, and it looks like today might be the day where it begins to reverse and move higher. But for there to be a significant sell-off in Nvidia, you have to have justification that there's something wrong with AI and the thesis of AI. And clearly Microsoft is telling you that it's the complete opposite of that. In fact, you could call this an AI breakout and just look at Broadcom. Look at the performance of Broadcom as it approaches 1,000, and that's confirming mm -hmm. that AI is still in a great place. Yeah, the, yeah. the moves in these stocks are, are um, you know, mid-double-digit percentage points. Uh, it's really, it's, it's been an incredible run over, over one month's time. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll give you the setup uh, for a number of software names that are reporting earnings this week as well. We'll do that next. All right, welcome back. Let's kick uh, some software names around uh, ahead of their uh, earnings report. So CrowdStrike, Joe, tomorrow after the bell. That's you. You own that personally, right? Into it, you have in the Joe T. 
and Palo Alto Network. I also own that personally, and that is also part of the Joe T. Um, nothing but happiness and good feelings for CrowdStrike, even on a decline. I think you buy the stock. Cybersecurity is such a strong, dominant theme for investors right now. They're, all the indications are that the capex is real, that enterprise is spending on ensuring that they're fortifying their cybersecurity. Mm -hmm as the hacks continue uh, in the corporate environment through 2023. So how perfectly, priced, how perfectly priced is the stock though? It's up it's up 100% year to date, CrowdStrike, right? So these numbers better be darn good because you got to believe a lot of that, what you said is in the stock. Okay, so you, you're speaking towards what can happen in the near term, which I respect and I understand. I've indicated on my ownership of these names that these are names that I am holding for the long term. When I look at my portfolio, when I've tried to trade around Palo Alto, tried to trade around CrowdStrike, it's been a losing effort. I believe in what cybersecurity is going to deliver over the long term, and this could very easily have a correction, but on that correction, I think investors should utilize that as an opportunity. Okay, Salesforce Wednesday after the bell. Belsky, you own that? Yeah, I own a little bit of it. He's talking about, thinking about Joe earlier about uh, tax loss selling. This was a tax loss selling name a year ago and ripped Ooh. in the beginning of the year and had some uh, issues in terms of performance and operations, but we like it. It's a smaller position for us, but we like it. Jason, you used to own Salesforce, but you like ServiceNow better now? Yeah, I do. Um, and we, we, we sold Salesforce early last year. Um, but for me, as it relates to ServiceNow, you know, simple business managing workflows, I mean, the stock has, has really jumped this year. Um, you know, and what, what I will say, too, which I think is important to know with, with ServiceNow, you know, this has been the year, so-called year of efficiency. They haven't done anything with headcount. So I think they have some room, if, if things do slow down, to continue to grow and manage that. Steph, what's your view of Salesforce? It in the past. I know. I've, I've owned it in the past, I mean, and I missed it, the, the recovery. So I think it's a great company, great management team, and I do agree on, on the margin side of the story. There is a lot that they can do on that front. Whether they do or not is the biggest question in my mind. It's not cheap. But I prefer cybersecurity. I own Fortinet. Fortinet. And that's the one that's really been horrible. It's only up 9% compared to Palo Alto that's up 93%. But yeah. I do think that the valuation discount makes a lot of sense. Okay, we'll do final trades uh, just after this quick break. All right, we'll see what that last hour brings today. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. We've got Cameron Dawson joining Kristen Bitterly and Aswat Demodaran, the uh, dean of valuation. He'll tell us about valuation in this market right now and some of the names within it. Mega Cap Tech we'll obviously talk about, too. So I hope you'll join me then. Belsky, it's been great having you for the hour. Well, thanks so much. Uh, what's your final trade? I'm going to stir the pot and tell you Bank of America. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why, why that one of, Eight of all? Eight times earnings. Great dividend yield in the magnificent Merrill Lynch sales force. It's time to buy low and sell high. Okay. All right. Jason Snipe. Costco making new 52-week <laughs> highs. Stay long. <laughs> okay, Steph. This is buying low, too. Target, although it has had a nice rebound, I do think the profitability of recovery is on its way. All right. So you... Uh you feel pretty good about those Black Friday numbers? I feel very good about the consumer. That's your story on the consumer hanging in? Target. I think that they're doing a very good job executing where they can. All right. Uh, Joe T. Just reiterate, on the close, buying GLD. I think gold is breaking out. And you're definitely doing that. You're buying it on the close today? 
I said, I said the order's in. Oh. The, order's the, in. the order's in. The order's in. MOC. Well, I didn't realize the order was already Mark in. Mark it on the close. No wonder why you weren't paying attention for that segment during the, uh, <laughs> during the show. All right, I'll see you guys on closing bell. So Dow's down about 75 points right now. Uh, the exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 